Welcome to Scholastic Reads, our podcast about books, authors, and the joy and power of reading. I'm your host, Suzanne McCabe, Editor-at-Large at Scholastic. Thank you for joining us. Halo, World of Warcraft, Assassin's Creed. These blockbuster video game properties are part of a new publishing initiative focused on what kids do when they step away from the keyboard or console. Our hope at Scholastic is that they'll turn to books, books that enhance their gaming experience, expand their knowledge and vocabulary, and turn them into lifelong readers. AFK, or Away From Keyboard, is a marketing initiative that brings together our books that are tied to video and computer games. Today, we have with us Matthew J. Kirby, author of the Assassin's Creed novels, and his editor, Michael Petranik, who will tell us more about this initiative. They'll talk about the benefits of immersing oneself in these virtual worlds, everything from sharpening spatial reasoning and problem-solving skills to learning the power of teamwork and storytelling. Hi, Michael and Matt. Welcome to the program. Hello. Thanks for having us. Thank you. Well, we're very excited to learn more about gaming and about AFK. So, Michael, let me kick it off with you. Tell us about AFK and why Scholastic launched the series. Sure, sure. Uh, AFK stands for Away From Keyboard, and it's an initiative that we're using to tie all of our gaming books together. I think we're finding, like many people found years ago when graphic novels were first entering children's publishing, they didn't know where to shelve them. They didn't know how to group them all together. And uh, what we've done with video game publishing, we're sort of facing some of the same challenges. Uh, Where do they go? Uh, How do we let kids know that this is where you go to find video game stories and find uh, extensions of what they already love. So that's how AFK came about. Um, you know, our awesome marketing and publicity team kind of came up with, well, this is a way that we're going to be able to get the message out to kids that when they see that AFK logo, they know, oh, this is video game publishing. So I would love to know what draws kids to gaming in the mm. first place. You know, we forget what a communal experience gaming is. You play with your friends. They play online. It's something they can share with one another. uh, And it's a lot of fun. Uh, You know, I remember very vividly my sister and I getting a Nintendo when I was six, I think, and sitting there in front of the TV and playing The Legend of Zelda together and handing the controller back and forth with one another. I mean, it is just a way that kids can sort of have control of another world. When you're a kid, everybody tells you what to do. You're always being told what to do. And in a video game, you get to kind of tell these people what to do. You get to take control of the world. I think that's one of the things that draws kids to it. You know, video games are first and foremost fun. They are an extension of your imagination. Like you get to explore whole new worlds. Even as a little kid watching this little guy Mario jump up and hit blocks with his head, I thought. He's actually punching them, but that's that's neither (laughs) here nor there. Uh, You know, that was amazing. And so I think that, uh, you know, kids, their imaginations are so strong, we kind of forget. And video games really, they appeal to all of that. Not just young kids, I mean, middle school, high school. And so there are a lot of things that draw kids to video games. I can imagine. Now, it's interesting that 
we th- gaming is more of a community mm-hmm. undertaking, whereas we think of reading as often solitary. So how do you see the books and the gaming interacting? Or- mm. Well, you know, our, our books really enrich the world of these games. So when you've had that story enriched by a book, then you're having an even more meaningful experience when you're picking up the game. You know, Matt can kind of speak to what we did with Assassin's Creed, but it's one of my favorite things I've ever done editorially. Not just because of how wonderful Matt and the folks at Ubisoft were, but also because I was an Assassin's Creed fan from day one. And, you know, what we did was we kind of sat in a room with the main creative forces behind storytelling with Assassin's Creed and got to plot out this amazingly epic trilogy. I mean, Matt can speak to that a little bit more. It was just an experience unlike any other I've ever had. Matt, why don't you jump in here and tell us a bit about Assassin's Creed? Sure. So um, I remember, I still remember when I uh, got the the call, um, you know, my agent asking if I would be interested in writing for Assassin's Creed. And I was like, are you kidding me? Um, <laughs> where do I sign? I don't even know what they want from me. But yes, it felt like the cool kid down the street who has the best toys had invited me over to play and kind of given me free reign. But I, I do. I remember the meeting that Michael's talking about where we were sitting there with some of the, like he said, the, the real creative forces behind a lot of the Assassin's Creed stories. And I basically asked them what they were looking for. And I asked them what the fans have been wanting. And then they let me go off and do my thing and come up with a with a story that I was really interested in telling in that universe. So with Assassin's Creed, you have these two rival factions that have been waging a secret war throughout all of human history. And they've been involved behind the scenes in, you know, numerous historical events and conflicts. And on one side, you have the Templars who believe that uh, the way to achieve peace and prosperity in the world is by making sure you don't let anyone else mess it up by maintaining a strict order and control. Uh, A counterpoint to that, the, the assassins believe that you have to give everyone their free will. The only way to achieve peace and prosperity is to give each person the freedom to choose for themselves how they're going to, you know, pursue their lives. And Uh, there's against that sort of big backdrop of storytelling throughout all of human history, there's a technology called the animus that allows you to explore in a kind of virtual reality simulation, the memories of your ancestors. So somebody can plug into the animus and effectively not go back in time, but they see back in time. They relive the memories of their ancestors. Just those two concepts right there <laughs> yes. have endless storytelling <laughs> possibility. Uh, no kidding. It's re- the sweep is remarkable. Yeah. What research did you do for the three books here on, you know, in terms of the history and science and mythology? Quite a bit. Like I said, when I sat down with the team at Ubisoft, I kind of asked them, what what have the fans been wanting in terms of settings, in terms of time periods or events? 
and they mentioned that the fans had been wanting ninjas. Like they'd never really <laughs> seen the because because a lot of this is seeing how the assassin and Templar conflict plays out through the lens of different cultures and time periods. So they wanted ninjas and they mentioned Vikings. The first book I set where I wanted to set. And that was in New York City in 1863 during the draft riots. It was a period of time I didn't know a lot about, but I was really interested in it simply because I knew enough about it to be really intrigued by this. It was basically a battle of the Civil War, a proxy battle that was fought on the streets of New York City. But then in the second book, I do go to China uh, when the Mongol Empire is laying siege to the Southern Song uh, Empire. And then I go to Viking Age Sweden in the third book. And all three of those settings really required quite a bit of research. The second book in particular was yeah. difficult because I picked a historical event that I could find very little about written in English. But I was lucky enough to get in contact with a guy who had been to the site that I was talking about. And he had also read some of the books that had been written on this site in Chinese. And he shared with me 20 pages of notes that he had taken. And so I had a source for that, which had been difficult to find. And then with the Viking material, that's a little more difficult because we don't have a lot. We have these epics that are recorded in Norse and Icelandic and such, but the details are scarce in those records. They're right. these sort of historical sagas that are written to glorify the heroes. They're not written in a style that is meant to be historically accurate. So a lot of the third book was researching what archaeologists have shown, but also allowing for the sagas to have a, a voice to give a bit of a flavor to the story, too. Oh, that's neat. Could you read an excerpt from Fate of the Gods, which is book three in the series? Sure. I will read from the first chapter. So to kind of just set this up, as I mentioned, the Assassin's Creed concept of the animus. You have the main characters of this series who have been able to go into this and they have experienced memories of various ancestors. So currently there's a character, Sean, who is experiencing the memories of his Viking ancestor, a guy named Steerbjorn the Strong. He was a historical figure who he had his, his throne usurped by his uncle, so his uncle Eric is king of Sweden and Steerbjorn was exiled. So Steerbjorn is currently when we when we begin, we will be experiencing the memories of Steerbjorn through Sean's eyes as Steerbjorn is trying to get an army together to return to Sweden to take back his throne. Sean returned his attention to the simulation, focusing on the flexing of the ship's timbers beneath his feet and the shouts rolling towards Steerbjorn across the water from Harold's advancing ships. He turned toward his own men, his dreaded Yom's Vikings. At the heart of his fleet, he ordered two dozen ships lashed together into a floating fortress from which his men could cast spears and arrows. His other ships could, would engage the enemy in close combat, ramming, grappling, and boarding. Steerbjorn planned to find Harold's ships so that he might engage the Danish king in single combat and end the battle quickly. It wouldn't help Steerbjorn's cause for his men to kill off the very warriors he hoped to command. I count at least 200 ships, 
Palnatoki said beside him, hardened and gray. In the years since Steerbjorn had defeated the chieftain and assumed leadership of the Yalms Vikings, the two men had arrived at a grudging respect for each other. No more than 200 ships. Are you sure about this? I am. But if it comforts you, last night several of the men made an offering to Thor. One claimed he was shown a vision in which I reached the coast of my home country with Harold Bluetooth tied to the mast of my ship like a dog. Steerbjorn removed his outer fur, then pulled his axe, Rangrith free of his belt. Harold's fleet will be mine. That's great, Matt. What an intricate world. Have you heard from any of your young fans about what they like most about the series? I've heard from several of them. Yeah, I mean, I get I get emails quite often and fans reach out on Twitter and a lot of them do comment on the fact that the books are able to go deeper into a story. They are able to enjoy new angles of the world of Assassin's Creed that aren't really accessible through the games. One guy actually said that because of my series, like the books had now become his primary way to enjoy that world mm-hmm. that Ubisoft has created. And I think a lot of that just goes to the inner world of the characters. For example, when I first sat down with the Ubisoft team, I asked them, what does it feel like to be in the Animus? I mean, I've played the games and the games don't really answer that question. And the Ubisoft team looked at each other and they sort of acknowledged they'd never had to answer that question before. That's not part of the narrative in a game, but it's an essential part of the narrative in a book. And so they told me, basically, you get to come up with that. You tell us, what does it feel like to be in the Animus? And so that was just one of the many angles that I got to explore in the books that had not really been a part of the gaming experience. Oh, that's very cool. Now, we I think many people, myself included, often think that it's mostly boys who are drawn to gaming. But in fact, many girls are. And we have women working on the series, developing it and writing books. Tell us about how all kids interact with these games. Yeah, I think that there was a time when video games were seen as a a boy-driven thing, and that's in the days when in the toy stores you'd see that all boys' toys were in one aisle and all girls' toys in one aisle, and I think they had to make a decision, well, we'll just put the games in the boys' aisle. And uh, that's really not the case anymore. My my wife plays The Sims a lot. We uh, have a lot of women that are on um, our gaming task force. That's uh, a task force that we have here at Scholastic made up of myself and other editors and uh, representatives from Scholastic book clubs and book fairs where we actually get together once a month and talk about the trends in gaming, gaming properties that we are really interested in, that we've been playing. Unfortunately, uh, my co-editor, Chloe Froboni, uh, has uh, beaten me several times mm-hmm. at Overwatch and she's never let me forget it. <laughs> you know, So I, I feel like that stigma is getting less and less. Yeah. And, and we have uh, female creators on our series like Hello Neighbor. Also, all of the game companies now, you know, their creative team is made up of men and women. 
Uh, and we're seeing that more and more with the kids. Um, I, I think that it's sort of the same thing that, like I was talking about how comics, for example, when we started doing graphic novels, they were also kind of seen as like, oh, well, this is, these are boys are reading this. And, you know, kids, they uh, they don't think like that. You know, yeah. that's us kind of putting that on them. So we're finding that there's a huge crossover audience. Um, and why we've had women on the cover of the Last Descendants series and made women assassins and women Templars a very big part of the series because why uh, not talk about the half of your audience, you know? Uh, And, you know, another thing I would want to mention is that I think just going back what Matt was talking about with um, how in-depth he goes in these worlds is that what we've been able to do with these books is also make them canon. And, you know, that's something that uh, I think has made the reading experience even more meaningful. I I remember growing up a lot of the things. responsibility. Yeah. 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 Big responsibility. Yeah. A little bit more uh, fraught. But yeah, yeah. that's that was really cool. The first time I remember seeing a note from Amar, uh, he's yeah. you know basically in charge of the Assassin's Creed uh, universe, <laughs> and uh, I had come up with a new concept. And I remember a note that he wrote in the manuscript: "This is awesome. This is now canon." Yeah, and it did not hit me. <laughs> I remember that until that moment, <laughs> and I had a little bit of a freak out. Yeah. But, you know, that's what's so cool is that there are characters in the games that we were able to kind of tie up their story. Like, uh, I don't want to give her name away, but there's one character in, part- in particular that they were like, well, you know, we've got to, we're going to decide what happens to this character in these books. But um, anyways, you know, I think as far as women and uh, men playing games, not only do girls play video games, they will beat you at the video games. I'm so <laughs> delighted to hear that. Another stereotype of video games is that they're not educationally redeeming. Oh, right. (laughs) However, we know that librarians have introduced them to kids and that they're now being incorporated into classroom curricula. Could you tell us maybe some tips for educators and teachers who may be a little shy or reluctant? Well, you know, I think librarians are always ahead of the curve, right? I mean, they just are always because they're with the kids every day. You know, they're seeing what they're reading. The stigma of uh, a licensed book, for example, has kind of really gone by the wayside. We're seeing that, you know, this, this Assassin's Creed is first and foremost a YA series, the Last Descendants series, you know. It's not like a, a junior novel or something like that. Not that there's anything wrong with a junior novel, but I think that Assassin's Creed also, it's not like um, that we're, we dumb anything down, for example. You know, it's a hard reading level for some of these kids. These kids, maybe a 10-year-old, it'd be above their reading level, but they still want to read it. So we're not only are yeah. we getting kids to read, we're getting them to challenge themselves with what they read. We don't dumb anything down. And I, I think that when parents see their kids reading, they're happy, right? Yes. So, you know, I think that is something that, you know, maybe teachers and librarians are probably even ahead of the curve. It's probably more the parents that we want to get to, you know, the teachers and librarians see when a kid picks up a 300 page Assassin's Creed book, you know, you're happy when you're 11, 12 year old, 13 year old reads a long novel. So uh, I think that um, that's sort of how we're using AFK too. It is also to educate the consumer and the parent and the teachers and the uh, educators about uh, the value of reading these books. I think also with the advent of games like Minecraft and um, other sort of puzzle-based solving games, the um, stigma of, oh, these aren't educational has kind of fallen away, especially now that video game people that grew up with games are having kids and they know like the puzzle solving, the Legend of Zelda actually helped meld my brain, not um, rot it. What are some of the other yeah. skills that kids can pick up in gaming? Hmm. Problem solving, um, critical thinking. 
uh, spatial reasoning. Yes, right? absolutely. Minecraft in particular. Yeah. Like I look at some of the things that my stepkids are able to create within right. that world. And it requires a lot of planning. Mm-hmm. Like they have to basically, they're building these huge structures that uh, I don't know how they do it without a blueprint, mm-hmm. but it's all inside their head. Just like an incredible amount of spatial reasoning, quantitative reasoning, how much do they need of a certain resource? Also just sort of more fundamental skills like reaction time yeah. and I, I can't remember now the details, but there was a study about certain skills that had increased after kids played Halo. Oh, yeah. Um, See that? It's really fascinating. And particularly with Assassin's Creed, because Ubisoft has always prided itself on a high degree of historical accuracy. The most recent Assassin's Creed game, which takes place in Egypt... Ubisoft created kind of a historical mode where you're yeah. not playing the game in a competitive sort of way. You're actually taking a tour historically. And they conducted a study in which they put this historical tour up against a college professor giving a lecture on ancient Egypt. Did you see this, Michael? I did, they, yeah. Um, I mean, it's yeah. the, the discovery and mode. And they found that students who played this through this scenario in ancient Egypt learned almost as much about ancient Egypt as the students who had sat in a lecture with a college professor. Yeah. And, you know, another thing I would also talk about is just teamwork. That is something that now that kids play online so much. And, you know, another partner we have is Blizzard and their, their game Overwatch is very, very popular. Well, in Overwatch, you know, when you're playing team against team, if you as a team member go off and do whatever you want to do, you're probably good. Your team's probably going to lose. If you work together, if one person does the shield, one person heals, one person attacks, one person defends, you're much more likely to win. And uh, I love that about that game, you know, because a lot of times with the um, video games in the past, I had seen, you know, well, if you do your own thing, your team will win no matter what. But Overwatch rewards teamwork. And I just think that is so cool. Oh, it really is. Could you tell us about some of the other titles you're excited about and, and the guidebooks? Sure. Well? So many. Um, you know, obviously, Five Nights at Freddy's is a huge series for us. The third book in the trilogy comes out very soon. We're really excited about that. We also have some in-world guidebooks. The Freddy Files and the Freddy Logbook that really expand the world of that game, which is a lot, a lot of fun. It's a scary game, but I, I enjoy it quite a bit. We also have a World of Warcraft Traveler series, which is an illustrated middle grade series um, based on World of Warcraft. We have the Hello Neighbor novel, uh, middle grade series, which is a prequel series. And that one, I you know, I don't actually work on Hello Neighbor. I'm just a fan of the book. <laughs> you know, I read the book and uh, I hadn't honestly played the game yet. And I was like, this is a really great mystery book. You know, this stands on its own. I really like that. And uh, I think that game is really fun. The, the look of the game, the guy, the neighbor looks hilarious. It's a, it's a fun, funny game. <laughs> we have our original Halo series coming out soon. That is the very first YA Halo series. And uh, you'll actually learn uh, about the Spartan training in a way that you've never seen before. Again, Again, expanding that world and stuff that kids definitely want to know about. There's also some in-world guides. The Spartan Training Manual will kind of do the same thing. And we're working really closely with Microsoft on that. So we, uh, and more to come, you know, there are other things that I cannot talk about that uh, you'll hear about more. So obviously, as you see, that's kind of where we're using the AFK initiative that basically, you know, Mara Lander came in. She's our marketing uh, director. And she was like, well, how do we tie all these things together? And Chloe kind of said, well, when kids don't play games, they go away from keyboard. And that's where it began. And that's why we need it. 
all these great games coming up, all these game books, I should say. And now kids kind of know where to go to find them. If you want the best video game books, come to AFK. All right. A ringing endorsement. Well, thank you both so much for talking with us. This is really thrilling. Thanks for having us. So thank you so much. Thanks so much to Michael and Matt for talking with us. And thank you for listening. To learn more about AFK, check the show notes or go to scholasticreads.com. Don't miss an episode of Scholastic Reads. Find us and subscribe wherever you get your podcast, and each episode will be delivered directly to your phone. Special thanks to producer Emily Morrow, sound engineers Daniel Jordan and Chris Johnson, and music composer Lucas Elliott Eberl. I'm Suzanne McCabe. We look forward to sharing more Scholastic Reads next time.